If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast Two Cents segment, where we're going to take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. I'm joined by mortgage broking king, Chris Bates. Mr. Bates, good to have you on. How's things? Hey, mate. Life's good. How's things up in New South? I'm up in your neck of the woods next week. I'm looking forward to a, um, a coffee with you. Um, yeah, how's things up there? Apparently, the weather's going to be average, which... Um, it's not why I'm going on a holiday to Noosa is to sit in rain, but anyway. Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Yeah, actually, you're right. It's clouded <laughs> over today. We had a bit of a storm and there's uh, trees all over the backyard and in the pool and everything. So, um, yeah, just in time for your arrival. But it is actually a lot less busy now. Uh, Easter week is always crazy up here. But, uh, yeah, it's um, certainly a bit cooler. Um, What's been so- happening with the family and work? What's been going on? Yeah, work's been um, a bit busier the last couple of weeks, um, not just with podcasting, but also a um, few more people coming back into the market in Brisbane. I think there was a bit of a standoff until recent weeks, but people are starting to get active again. And we've seen actually last weekend there were suburb records happening and some huge results at the top end of the market as well. So, yeah, mm. there's quite a bit going on. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, I think you're right, actually. I think there's people waiting for a bit of Easter stock. Um, we saw a couple of clients buy in the last two days. Properties are on the market less than a week. Um, and, um, you know, one last night, it was, you know, seven contracts out in the first open. You know, over 60 groups went through it. Um, fortunately, our client, thanks to a buyer's agent, was the one who won it um, and uh, is one that got the contract, I guess. That's what I sort of mean by that. But um, other than that, just the typical sort of dad life, nothing too exciting to report on there. So let's get into it. Yep, sounds good. Okay, so look, we get people writing in and always um, do send us your comments, questions mm. and thoughts. Um, so a couple of the things that people have asked us to cover and a couple of things we picked up in the media. So three main news stories this week. Firstly, um, a piece that was in Domain originally, Sydney neighbourhoods uh, where investors are selling uh, in the middle of a rental crisis with spiralling rents, but actually 
still some um, investors looking to get out of the market. Uh, so we'll take a look at why. Um, secondly, international students rushing back to Australia, um, part of the aforementioned rental crisis, I guess, uh, in particular from India. So India is rapidly becoming the biggest source country for migrants to Australia. So we'll take a look at that and the possible implications. And thirdly, uh, some more jobs figures out, very strong jobs market. Again, 72,000 full-time jobs added last month. Unemployment still 3.5%, lowest in about half a century. Um, so we'll take a look at that and also some of the trends in the jobs market and whether people are going back into the office and so on. So, um, Chris, let's get into it. So firstly, this piece in Domain, Sydney neighbourhoods where investors are selling. So this is a bit weird, right? Middle of a rental crisis. Rents are going up. I've seen plenty of rents uh, being renewed 30, 40, 50 percent higher in Sydney. And yet investors are still selling in some parts of Sydney. Why is that? So what I love about this article um, is so not so much what uh, people are saying and, you know, the article itself, but there's usually some great data I find reading things. And I think it just is great for it to enlighten our listeners on what data is interesting, right? Like what's the key point? What's interesting to know is well, how many percentage of a property in a suburb is owned by investors, which are rental stock, and how many percentage are owned by owner-occupier? And this, this article is sort of showing that, you know, a lot of these suburbs, it's, you know, 30, 40 percent of the properties that are selling in that suburb are owned by investors but what they're saying right now is actually not many owner occupiers are selling you know 40 50 60 percent of the properties are the investors bailing out and what that is it's, it's really thing to support the market in terms of um, where home buyers aren't selling but you would if you have got an investment property and times are getting a bit tough what you would do is sell your investment property to free up that cash flow to you know, give you extra cash to you know um, service your current mortgage, and so I think that's why investors are getting out. Even though rents have gone up, their mortgages have got up a lot more. Maybe they're not seeing the capital growth. You know, a lot of these areas could be the high density apartments, for example. And they're saying, right, I just I can still sell it. I can sell it to a first home buyer, um, and I can get my money and you know pay down my debt. Maybe I can't refinance as well. There's a real challenge. Chat to a client yesterday. You know, they've got multiple million dollars of debt. Um, their DTI or debt to income ratio is around seven times their income. Maybe they could borrow five times now. So they, they cannot borrow any more money. They can't even borrow the money they've got um, and they can't refinance. And so um, while they're, they're in an okay position, if their cash flow was running out, they'd have to sell. Um, and so, yeah, people won't sell their homes in, when interest rates are higher so much unless they have to but they absolutely will sell an investment property if it gets gives them a bit of a more runway um, and lowers the debt stress. That makes sense. And I think looking through the uh, the data provided, it does back up what you're saying. I think it's uh, here where they've calculated the advertised stock through March, the portion which is um, inferred, basically a rental property, inferred investment. So Sydney, 60%. But if you look at a lot of the um, so that's Sydney around the CBD. But if you look at a lot of those sub-regions, North Sydney, Parramatta, Strathfield, Canada Bay, Ride, I think a lot of it is where we saw that big building boom in Sydney around 2013, 2014, 15, a lot of that new stock coming onto the market, um, places like Epping, Parramatta, Blacktown, and a lot of those new apartments where people were paying top dollar at the peak of the market back then, they just haven't delivered as an investment um, off the plan purchases. A lot of it was bought by offshore investors. And it looks to me like a lot of those are now coming onto the market. People are just basically 
giving up after a decade of not much uh, growth and uh, pretty lackluster growth in rents until the last few months or the last 12 months. So, um, yeah, up to 60% in Sydney CBD, North Sydney 57%, Parramatta 48%. It's largely investors selling in some of those higher investment or higher density markets. And as you said, I think uh, rents may well have gone up, but people have seen their their costs have gone up as well and mortgage rates too. Yeah, I think what we uh, uh, through conversations with clients, we hear the stories, right? There was one just recently where um, – you know, they didn't want to sell. There's a real loss aversion. I don't want to sell something at a loss. It's real, right? Um, and this is a situation where the mum had actually bought with the daughter or the, had paid for the daughter's got the debt, but the mum put in the deposit or something. Um, and, uh, you know, the mum doesn't want to sell because it's a loss on the property. It was, a, you know, the central park development in, you know, if you know Sydney around sort of um, inner city. So um, that's absolutely real. But what people are now realising is there's an opportunity cost and a cash flow cost, a holding cost, it's actually jumped up a lot, right? Because interest rates have jumped up. So I don't want to, yeah, I'm not making money, but it's not costing me anything. The property's washing its face. That's what a lot of investors say to themselves. But now with interest rates high, maybe they've got to pay principal and interest. They can't get interest only. Actually, it's not going up, but it's also burning my cash flow. I'm getting out. Um, this is not what I signed up for. You can see with investors that, you know, 87 or 90% of investors only buy one property. The reason is a lot of the time it's A, they can't afford to buy more potentially, but B, they stuff it up or they don't buy a great asset and they buy it and they sell it. A few investors go and build multiple portfolios um, because they really don't really make this investment decision that wisely, I would say. And, um, you know, a lot of them buy investment properties that don't work and they sell them a few years down the line. Um, it's not something that everyone just booms and makes lots of money on investment properties. And the loss aversion thing is real, right? You know, I've seen this no end of times where somebody buys a property for five hundred thousand dollars. They will not sell for four hundred ninety-nine thousand, um, but they will sell maybe for five hundred one. It's um, it's pretty irrational, but I think all the studies have shown that people hate losing money twice as much as they actually enjoy making it, and um, that is a factor for sure. What about um, Chris? I often see these debates where people say, "Well, it doesn't." really matter if an investor sells a property because it's going to be bought by either another investor or by a home buyer in which case there's no real change the rental stock just changes there's one less person or one fewer person looking for somewhere to buy to live and then there's one less landlord um, and it kind of nets itself out but i saw an article this week saying that five thousand properties have been lost to the rental market in western australia which of course lit up the switchboards Everyone's saying, well, the properties haven't disappeared. Um, I've seen this debate quite a bit online. Um, I think Louis Christopher from SQM Research showed that if you actually reduce the number of landlords in the market, for sure, the number of actual houses or dwellings doesn't change. But that ratio, um, you know, people looking for rental properties can get skewed. I think as well, moreover, we've got population growth running at around 500,000 plus at the moment. So we've got to have some landlords in the market because most new arrivals are renters. So it's a, it's a bit of a nuanced debate, but uh, clearly there's a major shortage of rentals at the moment, at least in the capitals. I did notice um, this uh, just last few weeks, there's been some softening of rental markets in uh, places like uh, Mornington Peninsula, Gold Coast, Blue Mountain. So some of those regional markets are softening, but certainly in the city is pretty tight. Yeah, I think that debate where they said, oh, look, you know, it's, if one investor sells and own a first home buyer buys it that was renting, well, they've come one less in the rental market. So it's creating, and then they've 
uh, created one less property on the uh, rental market, right? So it sounds like it's a net. I think that's just idealistic to think that that's always what happens. Um, who's to say that that person wasn't living at home? Who's to say they weren't living with family or they were, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different nuances to that. And it's yes, not this- house, household formation is more important, I guess. Yeah. yeah and different I'm- suburbs. They could be buying mm-hmm. one suburb, moving to another suburb. So you could create a real tight rental market in this and more of a glut um, of rentals available here. So it's not evenly split that one's moving from one market to another, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, my thought is that if you're creating less rental properties within a suburb because you're converting them from investors to owner occupiers all you're doing is creating less choice for renters ongoing and you're going to create a tighter rental supply so less properties are trends are coming on the rental market in that market over time and more people having to getting pushed out making it harder for them to rent in that suburb so that's creating things like the rental crisis um and yeah yeah it goes back to what we were talking about last week um, we used to have non-resident investors or foreign yeah. buyers buying the new stock and now they've basically been locked out of the market with higher taxes. Um, there was a piece this week in Urban Developer saying that over 50% of construction, building and development businesses are borderline insolvent. And with the ASIC figures actually for this quarter just showed insolvencies in the sector, they're higher than at any time we've seen in the past decade, mm. probably around two decade highs which uh, I guess some of the homes under construction are not completing, but that is just basically shrinking the capacity of the industry to deliver homes just at a time when we really do need new supply. So um, I think the rental crisis is being fixed in some markets. I see Hobart is softening. There's a lot of supply around sort of regional Mm. parts of Australia. But, yeah, in the the big city, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and actually to a large degree Adelaide, Perth as well, um, yeah, the rental crisis is kind of just pushing on at the moment. I think this is going to be a multi-episode, multi-month, maybe multi-year conversation, this rental crisis. Um, but absolutely, um, that we do need more investors in the market and the foreign investors is an example of that um, that we should be having in the market. So let's move on to the second topic, which sort of leads into this, to be honest, the immigration, the, the bounce back post-COVID, you know, um, you know, always makes sense in my view is that once the economy and the borders were open, that we were going to try to import labour and we're going to import money into our country to to give us a bit of a kickstart. And so the numbers haven't sort of have shown that, right? They're pretty astronomical. What sort of um, international students, you know, you know, special visa, you know, high income, sort of high profession, highly skilled visas. So what's happening on the migration front, Pete? Well, we live in a global world now, and it's actually it's worth noting that the rental crisis isn't just an Australian issue. If yep. you go to Portugal or Dublin or Hong Kong, they're all over the place, UK the same. Uh, there's rental crisis um, stories coming around all, all around the world. Um, now, there was an argument that um, Australia had somehow damaged its brand with the extended lockdowns, especially in Victoria, and therefore when we reopen, nobody would want to come back or there wouldn't be the opportunities. Um I'm not sure I ever really subscribed to that theory. You know, somebody, myself, who's a migrant and could live within reason anywhere, you know, there's a good reason why we keep coming back to places like the Sunshine Coast. There's really nowhere better to bring up a family. Um, now, obviously, uh, the borders did reopen and people have rushed back. Um, record student visa applications now running 40% above previous record highs. In February, we saw... 143,500 students arriving in one month alone. So 
you know, people are really rocketing back. And on a net basis, because, of course, people are always coming and going, but net student visa arrivals, we've never seen anything like the levels that we've got now. I think the, the interesting trend, anyway, loads of media articles have picked up on this in recent weeks, is that India is now the world's biggest population. So that's bigger than China, uh, which is kind of peaked earlier than expected. Uh, but also India is set to take over from China as Australia's main population uh, source country, I suppose. So um, I guess um, particularly international students, but actually for permanent migrants, it's been the case as well. So any implications, do you think, Chris, of that? Look, I think in a tight labour market um, and a tight rental market, there's obviously potentially the government's going to want to potentially try to slow things down. You know, I know that the Labor government has made changes to certain visas and um, prioritising certain visas over others, et cetera, um, when you've got so much applications, et cetera. So I think it's a good problem to have from an economy point of view. Lots of people do want to come here and study here, and et cetera, but I think it's just managing that, knowing that um, we've got a super tight job market and we've also got, which is another reason why we need immigration, right, to, to do lots of different jobs. But... Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's something that Australia is a high population growth country, and you know, yes, these people moving here today and doing student visas aren't going to buy property today, but it's future demand. You know, um, a lot of people thought when COVID happened that migration is going to fall off a cliff and property prices are going to fall because who's going to buy property, right? But when people move here from other countries, they usually want to get to know an area, want to save a deposit. They need to get employment. Um, they need to bring money from overseas. They don't just become uh, and save money here. They don't just become buyers straight away. It's long-term demand. Um, and I think that's what, you know, the numbers are showing is that there's not going to be a desire from around the world. Um, and people, have, you know, A, students, but also people with wealth around the world wanting to move to Australia. For sure. Now, the, the rental pressures we've already talked about, and I think uh, share housing was by and large absent through the pandemic. I mean, who wants to live in a share house when you can barely leave your home or suburb? But I think share housing will make a comeback. I've uh, seen a couple of articles talking about international students gaming the visa system, working additional mm. hours. I think, I mean, in a sense, this is what we need. You know, we needed some pressure to come off the the labour force and the labour market was extremely tight. We just didn't have people to work in uh, retail or fruit picking and, and some of these sort of um, hospitality jobs. But that seems to be levelling out now. Um, Jawai did an article uh, this week that showed that more foreign buyers are now returning to the Australian market. And I guess this is related to the return of international students because that it just, I suppose, in increases the pathways or um, accessibility of foreign buyers to come into the market. Um, just before we move on to the next story, Chris, uh, when we get um, foreign buyers, there's a lot of debate about this. Um, how does that impact the Aussie housing market? We talked about a decade ago, a lot of uh, investors from mainland China buying new apartments. But when you get people who come to Australia as uh, students or permanent migrants, that's a different story. And um, I guess often... Uh, certainly when I go to Melbourne, I've often talked to the taxi drivers because there's no airport train. And um, they're always talking about, you know, where they're buying property. And quite often it's it's further out from the CBD. Uh, people like to buy new houses quite often. Yeah, and I think the rules around buying new are much more relaxed if you want to buy established, right? And there's a foreign investment review board. And um, I think there's two types of foreign buyers. There's Aussies living overseas or 
um, who are trying to buy a home before coming back. I mean, you can technically say that's a foreign buyer, you know, in some sense, but they don't have to go down all the review um, process. There's issues with stamp duty for these buyers as well, where there's higher stamp duty exceptions. So, um, look, ultimately, I think what they don't really want to see is a lot of money from overseas buying up our housing market, right? But if it supports buying new property, um, I don't think that's such a bad thing, right, for our economy, for our construction industry, um, for creating rental accommodation, um, et cetera. There is potentially an issue with them leaving them vacant. Um, there's, there, I, in my belief, there should be some type of vacancy tax in Australia. If you if you hold a residential property but you don't rent it out, um, you know, consistently and you're not using it, well, you know, what benefit is that? That should be used for our rental stock. Um, so, yeah, I think the foreign buyer, I think it's over you know, belief that it's such a huge impact on the market. I would say that the, the volume of money coming in versus a 10 or $9 trillion property market, it may, because of the marginal buyer, it may impact the numbers a bit. Um, but ultimately, I don't think it's a huge force that sometimes people want to believe. Makes sense. So let's um, take a look at the third news story of the week. Um, strong jobs market and what's happening and some of those labor force trends. Well, last month, the jobs market, despite everything we've heard about slowing economy, still extremely robust. All those job vacancies getting filled. Another 72,000 full-time jobs added in March, and the unemployment rate still, even now, just 3.5%. Now, uh, we do know historically full-time work does equate to demand for property. Um, so where are the strong jobs markets, Chris? I know New South Wales has had an unemployment rate of well, just 3% is extremely strong. Uh, but actually, most of the country seems to have had pretty uh, strong rebound in employment over the past um, couple of years. Yeah, and I think the interesting part with the employment is into the stories this week is that um, it's not uh, everywhere right and it's not also that everyone's going back to their actual job. Um, they're actually potentially working from home. And what does that impact on the sort of commercial property sector? Um I think you've seen lots of articles of a almost a big collapse in potential REIT prices, people wanting to get withdrawals out of REIT funds, which can sometimes have limits and only so much the fund they're willing to sell per month. Uh, because if they've got big shopping centres and high-rise towers, et cetera, it's not easy to sell. Um, and so there's a real li liquidity problem that happens in the REIT. They get smashed in downturns, um, REITs, because people really want to, um, they feel like there's a fire sale event. So I think that's a big problem as well. Is everyone's saying that the B, C and D grade office towers um, that aren't the high premium. If, if, if you're a business that's looking to hire talent, um, you want a really nice office to be part of the value uh, proposition. Um, but maybe you don't need seven floors. You only need three floors um, because you're only expecting people to come into the office, you know, two or three days. Maybe those are more like hot desks and collaboration spaces and, you know, hosting meetings for clients, et cetera. Um, and I think that's what the issue we're, we're seeing. And, you know, there's a huge potential vacancy, even though it's job, job market, maybe we should have very low vacancy rates in the commercial sector, but we don't. Um, and what does that mean for the B, C and D grade office towers? Do they um, stay empty? You know, is there big refurb costs, not only just uh, modernising it but and making it more green as well and more sustainable? Um, do they convert them to residential? Um you know, do they retrofit them into resi, et cetera? So I think that's a, the interesting story I would say at the moment is, yeah, super tight job market, but the commercial space is still flashing red, according to a lot of articles. Yeah, if you're not familiar, um, REITs are real estate investment trusts and they tend to hold 
uh, portfolios of commercial property. And I think one of the big issues is that um, they haven't really been writing down the value of their assets. And a mm. lot of people have been questioning, well, hang on, some of these offices have been uh, half empty now for a couple of years. So surely, particularly some of that B and C grade office space, surely the values have gone down. And this is one of the reasons that I think financial markets are pricing for interest rates to fall over the next couple of years. It's a leveraged sector. There's a lot of debt that's going to be need to uh, to, to be rolled over. Um, and surely there's some write downs in the post. I think um, in Australia, at least population growth is high. I think some businesses are calling people back to the office. I've certainly seen that in Sunshine Coast the last few months. The rental market is finally uh, cooling off. I think some people are pushing back against the high rents, but actually a lot of people are heading back to the cities now. I think um, on your point about conversion of office space, I think that's talked about a lot, but I think logistically it often proves to be very difficult to turn an office space into something that can be lived in just um, from a rules and regulations perspective, but also practically it just doesn't seem to happen that much. Um, yeah, what about um, around the traps, Chris? Are you seeing more people working back in the office two or three days now or is a lot of people still on the remote work? Yeah, I think the desire to go to what I call first tier sister cities outside the capital cities absolutely reduced dramatically. Um, you know, people are a little bit are much more apprehensive, almost not as bad as it was pre, pre-COVID. I was in terms of people really wanted to be stuck around the CBD. They're willing to go, you know, an hour further south or north. Like that's okay. But when you want to go an hour and a half or two, um, I think it's becoming a real challenge for people because that how many days in the city having to get back, if I had to swap jobs, would I be able to get a job that's also going to let me be working from home four days a week? I think that's a real concern for people. And what in that when that environment, they want to stay, you know, close or definitely still commutable daily. And I think that's where buyers are heading at the moment, which actually creates an opportunity, right? If your belief long-term is that flexibility uh, is going to win and the talent war is going to slow but surely um, mean that people only have to come to the city, you know, a handful, you know, a couple of days a week, for example, um, then I think there is a bit of an opportunity in those sort of one to two hour regions where demand's cooled off, but you're still competing over a finite properties that are super desirable um, because once that sort of, uh, potentially gets more ingrained, people are going to start looking at these regions again. And then all of a sudden, if other people are doing it, I'll do it. And um, you could find that there's a, a, an opportunity where there wasn't really an opportunity to do this in the last two years in those areas because it was just such strong competition on a small number of listings. Very interesting trends, isn't it? Uh, last two or three years, so, so many ups and downs and uh, reversals. I think the, uh, the the final point as it relates to this, um, it's almost the national sports in Australia guessing what, the Reserve Bank is going to do or second guessing. Uh, the RBA has said quite clearly that interest rates are in restrictive territory now, and I think that's clear. Uh, construction solvency soaring, as we mentioned. Um, I think domestic demand in the economy has really stalled since um, or the final quarter of 2022. Um, I guess the jobs market figures, though, are still very strong, and interest rates haven't really impacted here just yet. So, I guess uh, this is something to look out for. Interest rates were paused in April, uh, but obviously the May figures are uh, going to be watched very closely or the the May meeting is going to be watched closely. And between now and then, we've got some uh, very important inflation figures, which I guess in the end will inform whether the RBA hikes one more time or decides to pause, Chris. Yeah, I think what I hear from clients um, is 
you know, when clients are potentially talking about redundancies and fears around work and cutbacks, and that's definitely be popping up weekly into conversations where people are not so sure that they're going to not only get a pay not get a pay rise, but am I even going to have my job? There's restructuring happening, and um, and and sectors, you know, they're all sort of preparing for a downturn in the economy. Do we stop hiring, etc.? Um, and so I think even though we've got a tight job market. You know, I think that's slowing the wage spiral down that I think was potentially, you know, super hot um, inflation, super hot job market. If, if, if talent think that they can pretty much quit their job and go and get more money, then they're just going to ask for more money. And I think that's potentially been cooled a little bit um, where people aren't as confident where they're going to have a job, let alone get a pay rise, um, which probably will lead to lower interest rates um, sooner than if you know, people were starting to ask for more and more wage increases and that would keep inflation higher. Um, we haven't seen the high wages growth yeah. in Australia that um, other parts of the world, notably the US, um, has had uh, wages growth running at uh, well, nearly double what we've had, uh, still only around 3.5% in Australia. So um, that is a good thing from an inflation perspective, um, but the jobs market is still tight. So let's uh, recap on those three main news stories of the week, Chris. So firstly... Uh, Sydney neighbourhoods where investors are selling. So despite um, soaring rents, not all investors have had a great time over the past decade and some are choosing to offload, I think particularly their higher density stock in some of those uh, dense uh, inner Sydney markets in particular. And I'm sure that's being replicated in other parts of the country as well, probably in the capital cities. Um, Second news story, um, international students rushing back to Australia, particularly from India. I think that's good news for uh, the jobs market. Um, adds to the rental pressures, of course. But I think just a bigger picture point, I think India is going to be a key mm. um, partner for Australia's economy over the, the next decade and beyond and probably will be the biggest source of immigration going forward. And thirdly, as you just talked about, the jobs market is still strong for now, probably going to soften off in uh, later in 2023. Um, but at the moment, anyway, 3.5% unemployment is pretty good. Yeah, and the final point on that interest rates is that I'd say buyers are now lot, uh, not as concerned that rates are going to go up, obviously, because the RBA is paused. They're definitely not thinking rate cuts yet. They're not factoring in when they're doing servicing or they're taking out debt, thinking, oh, I'm just going to budget on a you know 2% rate because I know rate cuts are coming, right? If that does get factored into the market, though, that's when you'll see buyers be start to be willing to stretch their budgets and really that urgency will, will come there. And so that, that story may progress over the next few months, but it's not factored into prices now. So it's prices won't run when rates actually get cut. Prices will run when people believe that rate cuts are really almost certain. Um, and I think that's just something for buyers to bear in mind here um, and in, in their thinking. Indeed, we've seen the inverse of that, I yes. guess, over the past year with people expecting rates to go up and therefore just uh, backing out of making a purchase. Um, but if we start to see that yield curve inverting and expected rate cuts ahead, then that's when sentiment changes too. Um, so thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. We'd love to get your comments and questions and ratings and reviews. If you've got any questions for us at all, um, send us them via the link in the show notes or even if you just want to say good day. Uh, Chris can be contacted at Wealthful and he's a maestro at answering all of your mortgage or other property questions. And um, if you want to get hold of me, uh, Pete Wardgen, Blogspot, 
or Twitter or pretty much anywhere else on the internet. So uh, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, really enjoyed it and look forward to catching up with you next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening, Cheers. everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.